All right, if you would join me in Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, we'll read the opening 12 verses of that chapter. We're going to be covering five chapters 5 through 11 today. Uh, so hope you brought your lunch. Um, now, the early service, uh, I actually have four points today, and I got three of them in the early service, so they made me promise not to get to number four with you, uh, but we'll, we'll catch back up. You can take that out with them next week, yeah, but you have to show up early at 930. So anyway, all right, so uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with, a mighty, with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give, you, give to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Let's pray. Gracious Father, I pray today that we would humble ourselves before your word, that we would realize today that you are giving us truth. You are giving us a way to see the world, the way to live in this world. And so God, help us today to reflect and consider our ways, our actions, our daily behaviors and see if it's moving us in a direction that honors you or if it's moving us in a different direction. And God, help us to make adjustments. Help us to make changes in our lives that we might reflect your goodness and your character, that we might pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us of our sins, we pray. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as my dad used to say, that's why they play the game. That's why they play the game. So yesterday... Uh, some of you, uh, your spirits were lifted just a little bit. We got any Aggies in the room? Okay, there, there we go. Okay, now I expect you to be just as excited about some of the other biblical points I'm going to make later on. Okay, but but yeah, had, had a big game yesterday. You know, that's, there's that saying, that's why they play the game. Okay, that's why they play. And why do we play the game? Because, uh, you know, e even Kansas didn't lose yesterday, by the way. Kansas didn't, any Kansas, no, Kansas didn't lose yesterday. They didn't play, but they didn't lose, okay? <laughs> uh, so had that going for them. But uh, why do we play these games? Well, what's the whole point? Why don't we just say, well, this team's better than that team, and, and let's move on. This team's ranked higher than that other team, and, and they've beat better opponents or whatever. And let, let's just move on. Why go through the experience? Well, in the end, it's to say, this is who they are. We're, we're trying to figure out who they really are, and you don't really know that 
until you've had the experience of a game to see it all play out before your eyes. Okay, who are they? A game answers that. Pharaoh begins with a simple question. Turn over to chapter 5, verse 1. This is the question we're going to focus on today. Chapter 5, verse 1 said, Afterward Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. In other words, Pharaoh says, I'm not just going to let some random person show up and say, Hey, my God says, let a mass group of people go and me just obey him. Who is this Yahweh that you speak of? In, in your Bibles, uh, a lot of you will have that word Lord in verse 2 uh, in all caps. That, that speaks to the fact that it's uh, the personal name of God, Yahweh. Um, so who is this Yahweh, uh, Pharaoh asked, that I should obey him and let your people go? One of my kids had a baseball game this past year, and, um, and as the game was getting ready to start, you could see the storm clouds gathering, and eventually you could see lightning in the distance. And uh, they were warming up still, and this mom walked up to the fence, said, hey, kids, need y'all to get off the field. Everybody get off the field. So both teams started to get off the field, and, and the person said, no, y'all get back on the field. Y'all get, and they go back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the lady said, I'm the vice president of this league. Tell those boys to get off the field now. Needless to say, the person said, okay. So, and, and they got off the field. Who are you to tell them to get off the field? I'm, I'm a person of authority, a person who has a right to do that. You should listen to me. Here we have a situation where the Hebrews are in bondage. And Pharaoh basically says, who, who is this Lord that you're, who, who is this Yahweh you're speaking of that I should listen to him, that I should obey him and let your people go? I will not listen to him. I will not let your people go. This is our question today. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Now, just, and, and here's a big point I want to draw out for us today. Just because you know intellectually who he is, does not necessarily mean, and even if you have fond feelings of this God that we speak of today, that does not mean that you are counted as someone who is a follower of the Lord. Okay, we're going to talk about that today because Pharaoh learned a lot about Yahweh. He learned a lot about the Lord in the days to come, but he still rejected him. And that's our question that we have to wrestle with today. So first, who is the Lord? The God who is faithful God stands with his people. The God who is faithful, God stands with his people. Pharaoh stands against the people of God. Rather than entertaining the request, he in fact accuses Moses of taking people away from their work. Look at chapter 5, verse 4. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from work. So it had, I'm sure, had an effect on their economy, had an effect on a lot of things that Pharaoh had as his goals, and Moses wanting to mess all that up by taking them away for a few days into the wilderness. 
And so Pharaoh made the work harder. Verse 6, that same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before and don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're carrying out lettuce crying out, let us go and sacrifice our God, make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. So he makes the work harder. He accuses them of being lazy. And so do you think that made the Hebrews happy? Everybody's like, thanks, Moses. Thanks so much. You ever been on, a, on a, an athletic team and uh, one of your teammates does something that makes it harder on everybody else? Hey, coach, can we not run today? Can we not do conditioning today? <laughs> Tell you what, not only are we going to do conditioning, we're going to double it today. Oh, thanks, Bill. Thanks for doing that, you know. Uh, thanks for asking that question. I don't know why I chose Bill, but there you go. Why does he make it harder because of Moses' request? So he makes it harder on the people. He calls them lazy, and in turn... Verse 19, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting, on the, waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. So they deflect blame to Moses and Aaron, they take it out on them. And guess what Moses does now? Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. So, God, you've made a promise, and not only have you not kept your promise, Lord... It's actually become harder. So you see this string of events. He goes and he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And in fact, it ticks me off that you had even asked me that question. They're just trying to get out of work. They just want to go out into the wilderness to take some time to themselves because they're lazy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it harder on them, makes it harder on them. So what do they do? They say, well, uh, we don't like this. Now we've got to do the same amount of work and or we've got to do even more work and we've got to meet the same quota. So now we're angry with Moses. Moses gets angry with the Lord and says, why are you doing this? You have not delivered your people. We tend to do this, by the way. Adam and Eve, uh, you know, when they got in trouble, he immediately deflected blame first to the Lord, this woman that you put here with me and to her all at the same time. It deflects, but we have a tendency to do that where we push it off on others. Anytime we go through trouble, when life becomes harder, when we face trouble, when we face suffering, when we're confused about life, we tend to question God's plan. This isn't my plan, Lord. How many of you would like to follow God's plan as long as it's consistent with the plans you already have? That's ultimately what they brought before the Lord. Here's the thing about God, though. If you question God, you're welcome to do so. In fact, I think God invites us to do that, but just know that God will respond. In this situation, we have a God who is one with his people. He is standing in solidarity with his people. He is 
saying that what you do to them, ultimately you do to me, and I am standing with my people. But if you come to God and you bring your request to God, you pour out your heart to God, expect him to be honest with you. Read the Psalms. He's constantly pouring out his heart to the Lord. And read Job. He's pouring out his heart. He's laying out his concerns before the Lord. And at the end, God comes to him and says, you know what? Dress like a man. Get ready for action. Let's go. You've been asking some questions. I've got some answers for you. Here they are. God will respond, and God ultimately responds in this situation as well. We need to be ready for him to respond to us. And so I believe God's answer here is not only for Pharaoh, it's not only for Moses, it's for all of Israel, and it's for all of us as well to say, this is who I am. And ultimately, what does he say in chapter 6? He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name I did not make myself fully known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. In other words, he says, I'm the one who entered into relationship with your forefathers, with your ancestors. This is who I am. I am the father of Israel. Now, I I would imagine for all of us that... uh, Maybe we are sensitive to injustice going on around the world, but none so sensitive until it happens to one of your own kids, right? Until it happens to someone in your own family who belongs to you, then guess what? Our intensity raises a little bit, doesn't it? Why? Because this is ours, okay? Our love is deeper in that sense. So what God is ultimately saying, these are my children. Who am I? I am the God of Israel, They are my people. They are my children. He stands in solidarity with his people. There are numerous times God gives such a clear message to the world that these are my people, I am their father, and I am taking notice of how they are being treated. Turn over with me, if you would, real quickly to Acts 9. Acts 9. You have a situation that turned out much different, much different In Saul's conversion. In Acts chapter 9 verse 1. It says, Meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way. Whether men or women. He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he goes and he asks for permission. Letters to go and to breathe out these murderous threats to bring them back to Jerusalem, probably ultimately for them to be executed. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Listen to his question. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, get up, now get up. And go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And he obeys. So here we have someone who's just as against God's people as Pharaoh was thousands of years earlier. But when he is confronted with the Lord, he instead, instead of hardening his heart, he obeys. He does what Christ tells him to do and he follows after him. But notice what Jesus says, what you do to the church, you do to me. That's why it's so critical for us if we have a love for the Lord, if we have a love for God that that overflows in our love 
for the church, for his bride. There's a reason the Bible uses such spectacular language to describe the church. It's because God loves the church. Jesus treasures his bride. And so he is calling you. What are you supposed to do with your life? I can tell you one thing right off the top. One thing you're supposed to do with your life is to invest your heart and soul into a local church. To breathe life into it. to incur- And when I say local church, I don't mean bricks and mortar. I mean the people seated around you. That you might encourage them, you might build them up, because what you do to them, God takes notice, and Jesus says, you do to me as well. In Matthew chapter 25, you turn over there with me for just a moment. Matthew chapter 25, there's another time where Jesus identifies with a group. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Excuse me, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the peoples one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or, and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus identifies with his people. What you've done unto one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done unto me. What you have not done. Notice that. What you have not done. Those who have a passive kind of faith where they just are conservative, they hold everything in, they, they don't go out and, and uh, help others and pour into the life of others. He says if you're not someone who's going to pour your heart and soul out into other people but you keep it to yourself, then you're not one of my people. What you have not done to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you have not done to me. This is a clear word that he is for his people. God stands with his people. God loves his people, which brings us to number two. The God who is compassionate, God takes action for his people. He is the God who is compassionate. He takes action for his people. So God does not stop with warm feelings, kind sentiments, lovely words. He is a God who takes action As the famous line in the Chronicles of Narnia says, Aslan is on the move. God is on the move. 
When you see the wheels of injustice turning, you know that God is on the move. When you see his people suffering and going through uh, suffering and oppression, God is on the move. He comes after his people. He pursues his people. Now, does he do it in the way that we want him to or the way that we expect him to or the way that we have informed him he should? No. God does it in his own way. He is God. He sits in the heavens. He does as he pleases. He is the only wise God. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We do not understand the things of God, but what we do know is what God has called us to do. They Remember, they questioned God's plan. God is going to bring them out. He's going to deliver them. They're going to be their own nation. They're going to have this promised land. They're going to have all of these blessings But because it didn't happen their way in their timing, they're questioning God, they're angry with Moses. Even Moses is questioning God's plan. How many of us, we've questioned God's plan when things don't play out, when things are confusing, when things don't seem uh, to work out the way that we want them to, we question God's plan. But God takes action on our behalf. And I've just got to ask you the question, Are you on his side? Are you on the side of the Lord? As we read stories like this, we automatically, in the back of our mind, place ourselves within the stories. And typically, if you're like me, you always like to put yourself on the winning side, right? You always like to be on that winning side. You like to be with uh, the Lord and for things to work out well for you. But I think part of the purpose of these stories is for us to put ourselves in the shoes of different people such as Pharaoh, ask ourselves if we're presented with a question of obedience to the Lord and faithfulness to the Lord, are we responding like Pharaoh in our life? Are we pushing back against the Lord? If we read the story of the Good Samaritan, we always want to be the Good Samaritan, but maybe you're the priest, maybe you're the Levite, maybe you're the robbers that beat him up in the first place. We need to consider our lives, consider our ways and ask ourselves, are we being faithful to the Lord? Are we reflecting God's character in our own life and faithfulness to the Lord? Because there's plenty of times in the Bible where people begin to question the Lord. They begin to look forward for God, take action. God wants you to do something. Habakkuk chapter 1 is a good example. How long, O Lord, how long all this injustice, all this violence, all this stuff is going on amongst your people? God, are you going to do anything? God, are you going to step in and actually do something? And God answers. God responds. I told you, God always responds. And so in Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it real fast for you. Habakkuk chapter 1. If I can get there quick enough. Habakkuk chapter 1, the Lord responds to Habakkuk. And he says in verse 5, Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed. And here's, here's a verse. If you've gone to youth camps, you have seen this verse as the theme for a camp before. And here's the verse. For I am doing something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And we put that on a t-shirt and we feel real good about it. And if we would only read the next verse, we'd see why that's probably not a great idea. Verse 6, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not 
their own. And I could read on, but the point is, I'm going to do something about the injustice, but you need to do something about the injustice in your own heart, in your own life. I'm going to do something about the sin in your midst. You need to drop down on your knees first in repentance. As Amos comes along later on, Amos chapter 5, verse 18 and following, he says, uh, Woe to you who says that you're looking forward to the day of the Lord, because that day will be darkness for you and not light. So the question is, what have you done with God's calling on your life Have you responded to the Lord in faithfulness? There's a million reasons why people don't. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But the whole point of these plagues, there's 10 plagues in all. The whole point of these plagues is for people to come to a place of repentance. God is the Redeemer who acts on behalf of his people. When we say that God acts in uh, the book of Exodus, what that means here is that God acts to deliver his people and he goes through a series of ten plagues. Now, if you follow the plagues, ten in all, as I said, but there's three triads and then a final Passover one, the final uh, death of the firstborn. The first three are the Nile is turned to blood in chapter 7, the frogs cover the land, and then the gnats cover the land. And the whole point here is that the Lord is more powerful than the magicians of Egypt. Remember, uh, there's this imitation thing going on where they try to imitate uh, Moses. They try to show their own power. And finally, uh, Moses does something they are not able to do, showing God's power over the magicians, his superiority to the magicians of Egypt. Then you come to the second triad, the flies, the livestock, the boils. The plagues impact the Egyptians, but not the Hebrews, showing God's care for his people, showing God's love for those who are in relationship with him, that he would protect them, he would save them, he would deliver them. Pharaoh continues to push back, he continues to reject. So you come to the third triad, the hail, the locust, and the darkness in chapters 9 and 10. The whole point of this is to show that God is greater than the Egyptian gods. In fact, a lot of these plagues, they have all these gods who are over all of these various things. And so there would be a plague over here to show that more powerful than that God, our God's more powerful than this God. Who are you, Lord, more powerful than this God you got over here? And so one by one, you have plague after plague after plague showing the preeminence of Yahweh over the gods of this world. And ultimately, You come to darkness. Now, why is darkness important? Because there is one preeminent God in Egypt, the sun god, Ra. And they worshipped Ra. He was the most powerful of all their gods. And so at the climactic moment of these three triads, the last of the three triads, it turns to darkness, showing that God is more powerful than their most powerful God, now here's the question. We're going to talk about the Passover in weeks to come, but here's the question. What is the point of all of this? Why? Why why does God go through all of this? Turn over with me to Exodus 9, verse 13. Exodus 9, verse 13. 
So then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. It's like, how many plagues do we have to go through before you realize my power and that if I wanted to, I could wipe you off the earth, but I haven't because that wasn't God's will. That's not what God desired. But verse 16, but I have raised you up, speaking of Pharaoh, for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that by my name, you might be, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time, tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. And so God, of course, does so. What's the point of all this? God's purpose is to show his power so his name is proclaimed in all of the earth, but so that they would repent, so they would give in to the Lord that they would realize his power and his might and his care for his people, that if you're part of his people, he's going to care for you, he's going to love you, he's going to watch out for you. But instead, the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Chapter 8, verse 15, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Again, chapter 8, verse 32, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Later on, it says that God hardened his heart in chapter 9, verse 12. Chapter 10, verse 20, and verse 27, it says God hardened his heart. Pharaoh had 10 plagues, and he continued to harden his heart and didn't do what God asked him to do. We say, man, if I were in his shoes, I'd do what God asked me to do. Here's the thing. Sunday after Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, we hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we hear that God is calling us to do something. We hear of these things that God wants of us as his people to do. My question is, are you being receptive to that? Are you believing God? Are you trusting God? Are you taking action? Are you walking in obedience to the Lord in your life? Not just in words, not just in having fond feelings of Jesus, not just being a fan, but of someone who is faithful, someone who goes out and your life is impacted by his word, that as you hear his word, rather than procrastinating and say, I'll get to that later, you're someone who walks out in obedience and you try to apply it to your life. Why? Because you love the Lord and you trust in the Lord. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If you don't believe me, the next time a cop flips on his lights and he's behind you and you're speeding, give it an hour. Just keep driving. Just keep driving. See what happens, okay? Cops are like, no, please don't try this, all right? <laughs> please just don't try, just take our word for it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If God is calling you to do something, you know the right thing to do and you avoid doing it. It's sin against God. I want you to notice something if we look back over at chapter 6. His own people did not respond and do what God called him to do. And in fact, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let, let me say this one more thing before we move on to that. Pharaoh had this opportunity. He continued to reject. But I do want you to know the point of the plagues is for them 
to turn to the Lord as they see who is the Lord, as he answers that question for them, and to respond in faith to the Lord. That brings us to point number three. Who is the Lord? The God who is gracious. God forgives his people. The God who is gracious, God forgives his people. Uh, Look at chapter 6, verse 9, if you would. Chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? So before the project even gets off the ground, you have complaints. They don't like God's plan. They don't like the direction that this whole thing is heading in. God, you said you'd deliver us. We agree to that, but we don't like your methods. We don't like the way this is going about. God is actually giving the Egyptians a chance to see who he is and respond to him. And he gives them multiple opportunities. And they continue, most, for the most part, to harden their heart to the Lord and do not receive. Sunday after Sunday, we hear the Lord. But even God's own people here, they did not listen. And why does it say they didn't listen? Because they were discouraged. Because they were discouraged and their labor was harsh. We might come up with a number of different reasons why we're not going to do what God has called us to do. We always have a tendency to justify the way that we are living. But my question for you this morning is, will you trust in the Lord? Will you follow him? Because I want you to know something, that even while they were sinners, God's coming after them. Even after this, God keeps pursuing. They wouldn't listen to Moses. Moses was like, this isn't working out. God was well within his rights to say something to him and say, you know what? Have it your way. I'll turn it over to you. You're good. Couldn't God have done that? How many of us would have been willing to do that by that point, right? If you're like, okay, if you're not going to listen, then I'm going to stop, I'm going to give up. God could have done that. Instead, he keeps coming after them. They ultimately are delivered from Egyptian bondage. They ultimately enter into the promised land, not because they did everything right, but because God is gracious. God forgives his people. And so that's why the Bible says that even while we're sinners, Christ comes to die for our sins. So we might say up to this point in life, I haven't been following the Lord because of discouragement, because of harsh labor, because of whatever you want to fill in the blank with in your life. I want you to know something. I love something someone said. My dad was a a, a fox hunter, and so we had hounds growing up, and someone once said that God is the hound of heaven. He is always coming after us. Nothing will stop him. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He is always coming after you. He's always coming after me. He's coming after us to bring us into his family. Chance after chance after chance we have to trust in him. My question for you today is, will you trust in the Lord? Who is the Lord? He is the God who saves. He is the God who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And he rose him from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And one day he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And the question is, will you be ready for him when he comes? 
Pharaoh had ten plagues, you've had how many Sundays? You've had how many opportunities to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? How many more times if his heart was hardened after just a few plagues? Where do you think you are? The more we push back, the more we harden our hearts against the Lord. I'm a firm believer that nobody is beyond the redemptive power of God to save them. I don't think anybody is a lost cause. I don't think anybody is without hope in this world. But I do think the more you push back, the more you reject, the more you refuse to believe, whatever that might look like for you, it's not going to look the same as Pharaoh. A lot of us, we can look very religious. We can look very good. We can have good behavior. We can be nice. But you're not going to get into heaven because you have good behavior and because you're nice. You're going to get into heaven because you know the Lord Jesus Christ. He has changed your life. He's changed the course of your life. And my concern, especially in the Bible Belt, is we hear Sunday after Sunday all of these things, and we politely wait another Sunday. We politely procrastinate. We politely push it, push, kick the can down the road rather than receiving in faith what God has for us. Could we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning? And I just want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to him? The Bible says it's appointed for mankind to die once. And after this, the judgment. When you die, you will stand before the Lord. My question is, are you going to gamble your eternity on how nice you are? Or are you going to be someone who is sold out to Jesus? Someone who wakes up every day and gives yourself to Christ to pursue him, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to follow after him. Maybe today you need to come kneel at the altar and pray. Maybe you need to trust in Christ today and stop playing games, stop hardening your heart, stop procrastinating. Maybe you know that God, you've been saved, but you've never followed through a believer's baptism. Today's the day. Maybe you need to become part of a church family. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I do know he calls us to be faithful. God, I pray for us today as we have this time of response that we would respond. We'd know that we can come to you just as we are. We just can't stay that way. You call us to become a new creation. Your spirit washes us and makes us whole. Following Jesus changes everything about us. So Lord, I pray that for every person here. We know that you never give up on us. So help us to receive you in faith today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. The altar's open. If you need to make a decision today, pray that you would make that decision right now as we sing. Just as I am.